Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Paperless Podcast. It's great to be here again this week um, because I've spoken to an awesome guest uh, called Grace Acklam. She graduated from the University of Bristol last year um, with a master's degree in the psychology of education. Her paper is really, really insightful and it's well worth sticking around for this conversation um, because we talk about the hormonal contraceptive pill and its impact on self-esteem, especially during adolescence. Growing up, kids who take this pill at the ages of you know, 13, 14 and its impact that has on mental health, self-esteem, body image and just generally the the weight that comes with it um and yeah we talk about this issue we talk about things that need to be done going forward grace's inspiration motivation and yeah the importance as well of having a really strong support network of friends around her while writing something like this um which came mostly from her cheer squad so yeah stick around for this episode it's a really good one and um i hope you enjoy make sure to like subscribe share Follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, all the all the stuff. And um, yeah, I'll see you on the next one. So yeah, first of all, welcome, Grace. Thank, Thank you so much for coming. I'll just start off with you just describing to me a little bit more about your paper. What did you get up to for the best part of a year on this? And yeah, give us a quick summary. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so the Masters itself is actually psychology of education so it's mostly looking at things like um, SEND so it's looking at things like ADHD autism in education Um, and we were originally asked to kind of come up with a dissertation to do with that Um, and I didn't want to do that I'll be honest. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. By the way this is the third fourth episode we've done now at least and I think every single person so far has been like no I didn't want to do what I was asked to do and now I'm going to do something that I really want to do. Yeah and that's the thing because I knew I was spending so much time on it I wanted to do something that I was like really interested in Um, and like women's health has always been something I'm super interested in but because it was education I had to look at it um, in like young people and so I kind of went down the line of I'm going to look at something to do with young people and women's health and it just kind of like merged together so I ended up coming up with the title because I've had negative experiences with the contraceptive pill and I know talking from a lot of other people that they have as well um and I just decided that it was something that I was really passionate about and it's never looked at in young people like it's looked at in adults poorly I might add like it's not looked at well but it's not looked at with young people and I just decided that that was the area of interest that I was going to go into and then I was slowly putting it all together um, and realized that there was so much room for like its effects on self-esteem and I mean I'm sure we'll talk about it but like you don't realize how many different things go into self-esteem until you're looking at this piece of work and you're like there's just like so broad. But yeah let's start off by just sort of describing self-esteem I think that's the best way to describe it because you go into your paper and look at its perceived impact on self-esteem so without defining that I think everyone might be a bit confused what we're going on about so if you do that self-esteem is really difficult to define um it means completely different things to everyone um if you look at the like psychological definition it's someone's like how they view themselves and their own like respect for themselves effectively so it's basically like how highly one views themselves compared to the people they're surrounded by. Um, But then part of this paper, I asked each participant to kind of talk about 
their own idea of what self-esteem was and it brings out like a really broad range so like it's psychology defines it but it's really hard to kind of say doesn't do a good job at defining not really it. because it means something different to everyone and yeah. it's like hard to put into words something so personal and so kind of it shifts with everyone mm-hmm. um it's really hard to like put it into specific words it's the only thing i can really say about it is low self-esteem is crippling but it's not recognized as a like a mental health condition and i think it should be because low self-esteem you know can damage you in so many different ways and it can stop you from being involved with so many like great experiences because yeah. you don't think you're like worth experiencing those things basically but that's not recognized as a mental yeah, health condition. I looked when I read a bit about the paper and I looked more into it yeah. myself I noticed there was lots of things with like weight gain and also yeah. things like on the psychological side of things so yeah all of this encompasses the same thing yeah from- I mean it's tied to like body image it's tied to like anxiety depression it's tied to so many things it's like your intrinsic self-worth basically yeah. is how I would summarize it in one sentence Okay, so we've sort of now defined self-esteem. So from your research and what you've done, you interviewed 10 people from the UK. um, And you did some analysis on the interviews afterwards with transcripting. I'll get you to go into that later. But um, first of all, what was your main conclusion, I suppose? Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's qualitative, right? So it's like looking at context and people's different lives. It's hard to say like black and white, this is the right answer. Um, But the main thing is that there is an indirect link between the contraceptive pill and self-esteem. And I'm not saying that like it's the sole kind of instigator of low self-esteem, but it made it worse for my participants yeah. as a whole. Even people that came in with, you know, saying they were lucky to have had like relatively high self-esteem during mm-hmm. adolescence, which I mean, God forbid, like I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. um, but they said, you know, that they'd had good self-esteem, but being on the pill was like when it was the lowest times for them of self-esteem so there's definitely a link there an indirect link which I mean I can kind of talk about a bit more in detail but there is a link and it's not even remotely researched like you type in the pill and self-esteem and they're two like mutually exclusive it's like they don't coexist together did the sort of lack of research when you first started like looking at this topic when you decided what to do was that something that inspired you to sort of go on and and research this in more depth because of the ties to yourself you mentioned at the start yeah you, you obviously were had some trouble on it and then therefore it was something that you were like this is where I want to go and the lack of research was almost like a motivator in that like we need to get more of this like we need to understand I think I think so yeah definitely um I think also talking to like a lot of just my friends so not even just participants Mm. but a lot of my conversations with personal friends that was where the motivation for this came from because they're like it's so horrible having this experience and not knowing that this experience is valid like not knowing that actually it wasn't normal what happened to you and it took me maybe four or five years looking back on it to be like actually that wasn't normal and talking to someone else who had realized before me that it wasn't normal so then kind of talking to my other friends and they were like well yeah the same thing happened to me and it's like so validating I thought someone needs to put something out there that says like here it is in writing like here's what's actually happening because there's nothing you know there's people say you know you have bad experiences you, you have mood changes You've got like a lot of quantitative research that's trying to find like direct relationships. But again, that's in adults, that's not in teenagers. Um, and I just don't think it, there's nothing out there that gives it any light of day whatsoever, really. Um, yeah. So that was my inspiration. That's something as well I picked up on that you said in it that current research doesn't include adolescents. So no. anyone below under 18. 
And, you know, a lot of the people that you interviewed, they started going on the contraceptive mm. pill before the age of 18, some as young as 15. And yeah. that was quite um, quite damning, I suppose, that no research was ever done. Yeah. Well, not, not ever done, but there's not enough research on that and group think, of people who have had it for three years of their life before they're 18, which is Yeah, 100%. Crazy. And I think a lot of the reason for that is ethics. Like, working with young people under the age of 18, there's so much more ethical approval you need to gain for that. Mm-hmm. So it is more challenging to do so I kind of got around that by looking at it retrospectively. Yeah. Um, so by saying, well, you're this age now, but like, what was it like when you were mm-hmm. under 18? And I chose 15, but I know people that were on the pill at 13, 14 for, you know, individual circumstances, whatever. And there's like no shame with that, but there are people on even younger than 15 yeah. and they've definitely not been given the live day. And I went in and looked at 15-year-olds. So even my sample kind of excluded some really valid experiences. Um, But yeah, it's just there's no, like, looking into it at all. And I think it's because of the ethics behind it. But it's really important and I think it should be done more. No, I I think that that screams to me, especially during your conclusion and when you write your abstract. And the idea behind it is very, like, it resonates with you, the author. And also it comes through in the paper, which is really nice to see. so we'll go back to the sort of, you've talked about your motivation, your inspiration for that sort of thing. The aim of the study overall then, so when you sat down and you were like, this is where I want to go, this is the idea that I want to try and, you know, put out there and write something out and have this sort of validation for people who yeah. have struggled and on, on the pill <clears throat> at younger yeah. ages. Um, what were your aims of the study? I mean, my aims of the study really were, it was very exploratory because mm-hmm. it's like not been looked at before. So it was to look at the experiences of young adolescents on the pill particularly their like prescriptive experiences their experiences with use and also their reasons for discontinuation because that's just not out there in literature cohesively looked at at all um so that was kind of my main kind of drive and what I really wanted to look at and then because of my course I had to bring in that psychological psychology perspective um so then I had to start thinking well how can I tie it and then that's when I realized there was absolutely nothing on self-esteem but that all of the side effects that you experience when you're on the pill can affect your self-esteem and I think that's kind of where my main aim for looking at its effects on self-esteem came from Let's have a look about the results then and go back to that um, and sort of talk about your main findings from the research. Is that all right? Because mm-hmm. you interviewed these 10, um, 10 people in this sort of semi-structured interview style. What did it tell you? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. So I think it's important to bear in mind when I'm kind of, I had a negative experience with the pill. So I was very much looking at this from kind of who else has had negative experiences and trying to validate them and bring those to light rather than saying, well, what was your overall kind of experience like? Because there are people out there who have had really positive experiences, um, but I was very much looking at it from like a, tell me your, tell me your bad. The people that get involved more naturally are biased towards having had bad experiences anyway. Um, but there were three main themes that kind of came about from it and it was just like an overall just pure dissatisfaction with the experience so that's things like the prescription so um I had one participant who she had migraines 
And I mean, it talks about it in the paper, but she had migraines and they put her on the combined pill. You, you can't do that because it, it's a contraindication because you're at higher stroke risk if you have migraines. Um, and they put her on the combined pill. And just as she was walking out of the, the door, they said, no, she said to them, I've heard that if you have migraines, you can't be on specific ones. Is that? And the doctor was like, oh, my God, come back. Like, I've put you on the wrong one. And it's things like that. It's like that you should be screening for that yeah. in the prescriptive experience. And we're looking at maybe, you know, six or seven years ago now. So things may have changed, but for them in that moment, like that's, that's not okay. No. So even things like the prescriptive experience was less than it should have been. Mm -hmm. And then just overall dissatisfaction, like with the side effects with just uh, people feeling like they were just crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, from my own experiences, I had things where I felt literally I felt like I was going crazy and that really came through in this in this research that people just didn't know who they were yeah, anymore yeah. because they you know got further down the line they looked back and they were like what has happened to me in the last six months there was months? a few quotes like that that I remember yeah. reading when I was when I was going through it and people basically saying yeah mm. when I was on the pill I didn't know how to identify with myself I didn't know what my yeah. like what how to feel how to be yeah. myself and how to feel comfortable in myself because and that's something that goes probably under the radar without even any sort of you know yeah, 100%, because you have all of these feelings, but you don't understand why you feel like that, because yeah. it's, I hate the word irrational, really, but, like, it's all irrational um, in this. And, you know, this is, I understand why people are like, I was hysterical, and I, you know, that's a very, like, female embedded word, and I don't really <laughs> like it that much. Um, but, like, I, it came across, like, people, like, I was yeah. hysterical, like, I didn't know who I was, and it yeah. was very much like a unique female experience. Um and then, so that was dissatisfaction. And then there was this link with self-esteem, which was one of the main findings that those side effects indirectly affected people's self-esteem because they didn't know who they were. So yeah. therefore they thought less of themselves. And then that meant they weren't going to things like they weren't being social. They weren't doing the things they enjoyed because it wasn't bringing them joy anymore. They didn't understand why. That made them feel worse. It was just like a perpetual cycle of like horribleness. And let's not forget this was also at a time, so between the ages of what we've what you've done in your study, 15 to 18, yeah. is a massive time for huge for, for, for women in their life because yeah. they're one going through education, they're going through puberty, they're growing up and they're becoming more of a, you know, trying to identify with what they want to be. But while they're at, you know, while they're at this stage mm. in, in their life, they're on a pill that is making them yeah. really struggle to, to find that self, which is yeah. Really difficult, and I, I really tried to get that through in the yeah. in the paper as well. Like adolescence is a huge time of change for both yeah. like male, female, you know, however you identify. Yeah. It's huge. Like your yeah. your hormones are all over the place. And then you put in extra hormones that are supposed to, you know, help you in some aspect of mm. your life, but it's making everything else worse. Um, you know, it's confusing everything else. Yeah. And it just like almost escalates things. That was a really big thing that came through. Yeah. Like it made everything worse. It heightened everything. It didn't just, you know, I mean, it brought in all of these side effects, but even for people where they didn't experience as many side effects, they just reported feeling so emotionally volatile, mm. more so than, than they would have or they should have or compared to their friends. Yeah. Um, and then the third finding was just a desperate want for change and just like frustration at how little research is out there, um, how much more should be done, but also that we've all just resigned ourselves to this like horrible reality where it's like, well, if we don't want a child, like this is, this is one of the only options. Yeah. And this is kind of what we're stuck with. And it's like the doctor's first go-to for everything. And when you're 16, you believe them. Um, is it because of that, almost that, 
you go in at 16 not really knowing anything because yeah. the education's not there or do you think it's because combination yeah. of everything so the education for us definitely wasn't there it's and when I say us I mean like the people I interviewed and uh, my age mm-hmm. um, because I based it on like my own kind of generation yeah, nowadays you did 20, 20 to 25 yes yeah. I did yeah. yeah so nowadays if you go into a school they've I mean, it's ridiculous that they've just bought it in. But in 2020, I think it was, they bought in a new sex and relationships curriculum, national curriculum. So it's changed now. So now by the age of 16, you have to have had a talk about kind of the methods of contraception that you can use and like your different options available. And that's supposed to kind of, I think, counteract a little bit of what goes on in the medical room. But from previous research, doctors have like a really strong bias towards the pill. If you asked most of my participants, it was their mum that said, we'll put you on the pill because that's all they knew. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we are very much strong-armed as teenagers, or we were back then, to just go on the pill. And you don't really get told about it other than you might experience some side effect. It doesn't cause weight gain when there's quite strong evidence to suggest it it can do. Um, And that you might experience some mood changes. (laughs) And that's it. That's literally all you get told. You get given a brochure, you get told to come back in a year. And see how um, just it's it's almost like see how you get on. Yes, yeah. yeah. and I think the main thing I tried to get through in this paper was that it shouldn't be on a 15, 16 year old. It shouldn't be their responsibility to take care of their entire being when mm. like you actually don't know. You know, when you're like 15, 16, everything is a like tummy ache. Mm-hmm. Like ang- if your anxiety, if you've got, if you're really sad, like it's you don't understand it's it. The same, it's just same symptoms almost for the same for different things but you don't really understand what's yeah going i think on, you've I think. not learned how to like differentiate between what's going on at that point yeah. i think it's very much like something's not right but i don't understand it and i at that age i don't think you really have the ability to look back and say well i started taking new you know if you do i mean amazing mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't have the ability to look back and say i started taking you know hormones six months ago because also you don't really understand what hormones are at that point <laughs> no. i um, mean i still don't even know what they are now and i did yeah. like what a full it, degree in yeah sciences, and so. it takes a lot of time yeah. to like look back and think like actually i was going through a lot of change there when you're yeah. in it the ability to recognize it is just not there i don't think is it is it important then that people recognise it for you? Is that part of the solution, yeah, do you think? Or, I like, think so, but I think doctors should be monitoring that. And I know that, you know, there's we're in a very tight place with the NHS and, like, we're lucky to have it at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not discrediting what we do have, but especially for young teenage girls who are going through this, like, we need more support more for support. them. Um, because, you know, even if you notice physical changes, there is nothing and... I stand by this. There is absolutely nothing the doctors do that say, how's your mood been? Mm -hmm. So they call you in. They say, we'll check your weight. We'll check your blood pressure. And they say, how have have you gotten on with it? And most of the time, you don't even realise that you've had these experiences. So you say, yeah, fine. And then actually, if they just sat you down and they were like, well, have you been crying more (laughs) recently? Or like, are you, you know, more upset? Or do you find yourself getting angrier? Like even one question like that, would like even that's a screening question that takes maybe 30 seconds during that prescriptive appointment or during that like screening follow-up um and i think something like that is so important absolutely okay yeah so we'll go on to that actually and just sort of see what else going forward we have because obviously your 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 um your paper sort of concludes with the suggestion that there are these three things Mm. that you found and something needs to be done and whether that be you know more education more more screening from for yeah. things like this in the medical place we've just touched on um 
but also the other types of contraception or hormonal like uh it's called balancing is it when I, I didn't know how to describe it you might yeah, have to define it that's but when fine. people go on the pill for other reasons other than contraception yeah so it's like non-contraceptive non-contraceptive yeah. yeah so more things like that what can what would you like to see going forward to sort of improve that situation yeah I think it's really difficult because uh contraception is it's not like a hot topic but like it there's not a lot that can really be done about it because you it, it's there to serve a purpose right mm-hmm. so whilst it's really nice and easy for me to you know write my paper and say we need a contraceptive method that like doesn't give these side effects but still has the same benefits yeah. like the only way to interfere with natural fertility is to interfere with the hormones or the menstrual cycle yeah. which unfortunately at the moment it does fall on women and it does fall on females to kind of look after their own contraceptive uh, like their own fertility, I suppose we'll yeah. say. Responsibility um, over their own fertility rather than the male having the responsibility. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there are these male pills being generated and things, but that's, you know, something about that actually is the male contraceptive pill. They were designing it. They trialled it. The same side effects presented in men as the side effects that women face daily on the pill. Yeah. And it wasn't released because yeah. of the side effects on men. And then I think... It was like, well, that's it doesn't seem fair. Doesn't There's a lot fair. of frustration there. But so that second that almost like I think there was a line in it that was the second class citizen feeling very much many, so. that many women felt at adolescence, yeah. but also now going forward into adulthood. Yeah. That there's this second class citizen feeling of well, why why aren't why aren't you taking Yeah. It and it's almost like they don't like and I say they, but we're looking at like the male population here. There is a general feeling, and it's very stereotyped, but it is definitely there still that it is the, the female responsibility to kind of protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. When it's like actually, like just because you can walk away from a baby, like we can't. Yeah. Um, and you know, and even even you know, there's there's stuff in place, and um, abortion is legal in this country, and we're yeah, very yeah. lucky. But even if that is you know an option the mental toll that that takes on someone and then men just walk away from it and that very much came through in this piece of work as well is that there's an awful responsibility that we have to put ourselves through you know all of this even as a teenager and I mean the the fear is a teenager not to bring that back into sort of like the adolescent stuff but it is almost something that I think that you know, it's forgotten is the, mm. the fear of getting pregnant is something that struck me personally yeah. and it struck you know, many people around here that, oh God, like, I don't want to have a kid right now. And that's, yeah. that's something that's quite scary. But then for you to have the responsibility of that while on the contraception when a man isn't, yeah. then is that something that needs to really change? That is something that 100% needs to change. I mean, I think if we're looking at like equality in society, which is, you know, still very much like a prevalent need, um, then that, you know, it even goes down to things like that where, like, guys need to recognise that they're in this really privileged position where they don't have to consider the implications in the same way that we do. I'm not saying they don't need to consider it at all, Mm -hmm. but not in the same way. And they don't have to put themselves through, like, body-altering hormones or very painful other non-hormonal contraceptive options to kind of avoid that. The pill is obviously not just contraceptive. It does have other benefits, but then do the benefits of like less periods outweigh the implications on self-esteem? Yeah. That was kind of a debate that I didn't get into in the paper, but it's something I could talk about something, for hours. Something you'd like to get into. <laughs> yeah. You could write another paper on it. Yeah, 
So, yeah, we've sort of talked about the future implications and what you really want to see going forward with this sort of research. And I think what we can conclude from it is that there needs to be a lot more research and there needs to be a lot more discussions on this type of thing. Um, can we just go back a little bit and talk about your methodology? Yeah. Um, because I know that you you spoke to 10 young adults from the UK. Yes. Um, a lot of them were in, from your own like media circles because yeah. obviously it's really hard. And we'll talk really about that hard. maybe as well, actually. Yeah. The difficulties of finding qualitative research subjects to talk about things like this yeah. in university places difficult really like difficult, I've got yeah. a sensor button on here but I won't put it on yet yeah um, but it is it's really difficult so that, yeah let's talk about that and how did you find the whole transcripting thing because yeah. I can imagine that would have taken a, a long lot of time. time yeah yeah so I effectively only I know it's supposed to be like a year-long thing but I was so busy up until May that I only really started collecting my data in May um, so it meant that I basically had only May, June, July and August and I had a really difficult summer. So like trying to do it amongst everything else I had going on in my life was, it was like a distraction, but it was a lot of, like, it was a lot of hard work as well. Yeah. The, by the end of the summer, like me and this dissertation, we were best friends. Like yeah. we had, that was all, that Did was all I Did you grow together, do you think? Like over that summer where you like the start, you were like, oh God, I've got yes. this to do. And at the end you were like, we're best mates. I've yeah. just finished i've submitted you basically. yeah, yeah nice. it's definitely uh helped develop my resilience nice. i will say that cool. um halfway th- so i wrote the whole thing and then i submitted a draft and my supervisor gave it back to me and she was like this is barely a pass so i had to like rewrite the whole thing so by the end of it it was a love-hate relationship i'll say yeah. um because by the end of it i submitted it basically unseen because she didn't like my first draft which which is fine i appreciate her honesty um and it got me a really good result in the end but it was it was hard work writing it. Um, but yeah, so I started collecting my data in May. Um, it was 10 hour long interviews. And by the end of those interviews, like I could not think of anything worse than like sitting and doing like another interview. It was the same questions on repeat. I did a couple of times I did two interviews in one day. Um, over Zoom as well with a couple of them. I a think. couple of them yeah, were yeah, over yeah. Zoom. Yeah. Um, and that was worse it was worse on zoom because i was just talking effectively to myself um the in-person ones were better because we could get like a coffee or something um but you're absolutely right i did recruit them all through my own social media circles and that proved its own challenges because i mean i don't know if you've ever experienced it but people when they try and recruit dissertation participants on instagram you just flick through it you're like oh I'm not like dealing with that. Do you know what I mean? You just like, you see it and you're like, no, I'm not. That's not for me. Um, So you just kind of keep skipping through things. um, And I knew that that's what was happening. Um, So I, I had a lot of word of mouth as well. So like I used a lot of asking people to ask people and that's effectively how I ended up collecting 10. But I was right up until the last minute with collecting my participants because I was like well I know I need to start writing here so I need to start analyzing here so that gives me effectively like one week to find like four more participants (laughs) and also I just felt like a bit of a tosser like I just knew that no one was interested in like hearing my recruitment speech like over and over again so it was like how can I get to the end of it but I did and um a lot of my friends really pulled through and really helped me out um yeah and I was really really thankful for that um yeah, I was going to yeah. touch on that a little bit, actually, and just talk about the importance of when when writing anything, you know, yeah. whether this be your undergrad or now, you know, you you wrote a lovely little bit before this, acknowledging the, the work of your supervisor, your yeah. friends, especially a couple of them, 
um, and the support network that you had with your cheer group here yes, in Bristol. Yeah. Like how important were they to you? And also like how important is it for you to have a good supportive network around you when you're writing about topics that are so poignant and also like it, it affects your, you know, probably me- affecting your mental health while writing yeah. it going like, oh my God, I remember this when I yeah. was 16, this happening and all that sort of stuff. So how did, how did yeah. that happen? I mean, I... I've always been very open about this. Like, I'm a big fan of therapy. So I was in therapy all summer. I actually did have a really difficult summer, like, more so than people would probably imagine having seen it online and things. Um, But I, a lot of it I processed in that. So I had, I have a really good relationship with my therapist. um, And she kind of supported me through a lot of the, like, personal side of things that I was working through, which created more space in my own head for academic work really and I think the hardest thing about writing this was I was in Bristol by myself because I stayed on to do this master's because a lot of my friends were only just going into their final year Uh so they went into their final year they sat their third year finals and then they left Bristol and I was left here until August writing this dissertation by myself and I don't regret doing it because I had the most amazing time with them for the first nine months, but yeah. the last three months when they had all left, I was like, this is so bleak. Like, I And also you hadn't got your people to interview. No, <laughs> <laughs> no exactly. But um, like, I have some like really amazing friends and they absolutely carried me. There were so many times over somewhere I called them or I text them and I said, like, I'm just having such a hard time. Like everything about this dissertation is grating me down and everything else I had going on outside of it as well. Like it was not like an all-time low, but there's only a handful of times when I felt yeah, that, yeah. when I felt that difficult, like when I've really felt that struggle in my life and just having, I mean, they know who they are, but just like the best friends in yeah, the world yeah. who just, I always say like unconditional support, unconditional love. And I just don't think you realise how unconditionally someone is there for you until you really need them. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really thankful for them. Yeah, shout, um, out, shout out to them friends. Yeah, you, They know who you are. They so, do know um, who they are. They'll yeah. be listening maybe 100%, to this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that seems, I mean, you should be really proud of yourself because you've pulled it off there with you know, a really cool paper that highlights one of the biggest issues that we have you know, in society at the moment in you yeah. know, young young people and mental health and also you know, physical, psychological health. Yeah, and, and I just, I wish it was more spoken about and this is a really great platform to share it, nice. I guess. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm glad that we've been able to do that. Um, we'll go and talk a little bit more about your experience in Bristol, but more mm-hmm. importantly, the cheer squad that you're in. Yeah, so, so I joined uh, Bristol Jets, uh, the university cheerleading society, nice. and I joined them in my second year during COVID and everything was on Zoom. And I Cheer on Zoom? How? Cheer on Zoom. No, so we all did it in our living rooms. We were doing our on little star bed, jumps. Jumping up and down like Yeah, that, so we it? had our star <laughs> jumps um, and then... We would slowly, like once a week, every hour, we would learn like a little section of a routine. And then at the end of the kind of season, we all came together and we all stood out on the downs for, I think it was like four hours. And um, we it was two meter by two meter, right? Because yeah, it was yeah, social yeah. isolation. So there was just this grid of like, I don't know how many there were of us, like 25 girls. We stood in this grid, like going over this dance over and over again, just to put a little video together, just for something we yeah, had to yeah. do. Um, but I remember like messaging um, my friends and two of them actually supported me through over yeah, the yeah, summer yeah. and messaging them on um, Zoom direct message and being like, can I have your Snapchat <laughs> um, back in second year? And then um, at the end of that year, I chose to run for welfare and charities officer. Nice. Um, and then in, so that was third year and they were all staying because they had joined in their first year. So I was kind of one year ahead of them. Um, and 
that's why I decided to stay and I wanted to do this master's but also I ran for president and if I'm being completely honest I decided to run for president before I had a master's (laughs) so I was like well I have a grad scheme lined up but I want to be president so I'm going to drop out of the grad scheme to run for president then I had to find a master's which is how I ended up here um and then I kind of went down that line it was actually very close my my presidency I nearly lost it was like something like 54 to 48 or something it was really tight Brexit that (laughs) (laughs) it was really tight it was really tight but I did get it and I was like oh thank thank goodness for that um and then yeah I spent all of my fourth year doing this master's balancing president and I literally balancing like plate spinning um or on one leg oh yeah Yeah, sorry that was a terrible no that's terrible I'm cutting that out I'm cutting (laughs) (laughs) I don't have very good balance anyway to be honest um I'm a bit lopsy lopsy topsy-turvy topsy top lopsy lopsided lopsided Lopsided. um but yeah no so then I did my um presidency alongside my master's and I would take a break from one to work on the other so it was like I need a break from this what can I do I'm gonna work on the other thing like I was literally like give and take like constantly the number of times that my friends came and found me like in the senate house third floor study space just sat there with my head in my hands like what have i done and <laughs> when i was in it when i was in it it was awful but um i am a bit of a control freak and i did really enjoy the power trip that came with it and knowing now that i was able to balance president alongside this just massive piece of work as well was like a really big achievement for me um but yeah, I love cheerleading. I'm still involved. I'm doing nice. it this year, but I'm not on committee anymore. I um, left that in the past. Well, <laughs> yeah. shout out to the British Bristol Jets um, cheer squad. Yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah, and if you've got anything coming up, I'll, I'll link it all in the, yeah, in great. the description for this so people can go and watch. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it there with just the last question yeah. of what are you doing now? I know you're here in Bristol still. Yes. Um, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. So I am in Bristol at the moment. Um, I am doing my PGC, so I'm training to be a science teacher. Um, my undergrad was biochemistry, so it kind of ties everything together. Um, it's hard work again. Um, the kids. <laughs> you know what? Lovely. Good. I really like young people. I've always said I wanted to work with young people. I just wasn't sure what angle I wanted to go down. Um, and teaching science was maybe a questionable decision because no one likes science really. I like science. Yeah, I'm, me too. <laughs> but like try telling like 14, 15 year olds to like science yeah. um, when, you know, they're forced to be... Science is hard to teach, right? Because it's one of those core subjects that everyone has to learn whether they are interested in it or not. Um, but it, I'm enjoying it. I'm leaving Bristol at the end of this year, so I'm just trying to make the most of it. I'm off um, up to Leeds. I've got oh. a job there, so yeah. Fun. I've yeah, had enough of the it. South. I've had enough. I just need to, get, need to get away. Fair yeah. enough. Well, it's been lovely to have you on, Grace. Yeah, um, thank you. This has been another episode of the Paperless Podcast. I'm going to leave everything that Grace has talked about today, including any literature or any sort of LinkedIn, uh, social media, all that sort of stuff, and also to the Jets stuff. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. Um, this has been Jake on the episode four of the Paperless Podcast. Um, where I've spoken to Grace, who graduated with an MSc in the psychology of education, um, where she looked at the hormonal contraceptive pill use and its perceived impact on self-esteem during this period. Grace, it's been really nice having you on. Thank you. No worries. Thank you.